bring comfort to Wayne and Vicki, and we, we love them so much. And uh, we thank you that we've had opportunity to, to sh- uh, be a part of um, their family, and, and this church family uh, continues to just want to be uh, ones that bring comfort and um, words of comfort to them and support. So, Lord, give us wisdom in that and, and help us. And I just pray that you would, in these days and weeks and months ahead, that you would bring that comfort to them and strength. And, and Lord, that you would just reiterate your grace and love to them. And, Lord, tonight, as we, again, are in your word, that you would just take these things and, and uh, help us to make application in a portion of Scripture that, again, is, is largely ignored. But we can learn tonight. And and draw close to you and, and be reiterated the things that you desire uh, for us to understand. And so, Lord, give us that understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 13, as we left off last time, of course, was dealing with leprosy. And as we go through the book of Leviticus, all this was given to Moses and the children of Israel as they were given the civil laws, the moral laws, they were given uh, these um, things to run their nation and to bless their nation. But as we enter into that section uh, in chapter 11 through chapter uh, 17, what we're seeing is a number of things that are given to them concerning uh, how to identify disease, dietary laws, uh, bodily discharges, all these things when it comes to sexual purity. And these things were given to them for practical reasons because remember that in the camp of the children of Israel, they didn't have hospitals like what we have today. There was two and a half uh, million people perhaps that were wandering in the wilderness. They didn't have medical centers. They didn't have the medical research that we do today and, and the knowledge that we have. And so it was God giving them instructions uh, on how to keep their camp clean, how it is that uh, they were to eat, all these different things for very practical reasons. And so last week, or two weeks ago actually, as we looked at chapter 13, uh, the skin disease, leprosy, was something that was greatly feared in ancient times. And we discussed that leprosy was highly contagious, and so without having doctors and, and medical clinics and stuff, it was the priest that would inspect to see if an individual had leprosy. And so the procedures were given here where the priest would determine if, if that individual had leprosy and then what to do um, when that person did. They would be isolated from the camp and uh, they would be, uh, first of all, that they were suspected as the leprosy started out small, that they would be observed for seven days and then if they saw that the leprosy was spreading, then they would uh, isolate the individual because it was highly contagious. That was to protect the people, the camp, uh, from the spread of that disease going through the camp. And, of course, um, all these things that are given were given for very practical reasons um, as uh, they were given these laws. And so we saw that that individual being isolated would end up living outside of the camp. And that would continue as they would go into the promised land and then they would have their allotments, the 12 tribes, and they would build their villages and their homes and stuff. Again, the procedure was the same. They would come and be inspected by the priest, but then they would be isolated. And, of course, we see the lepers that are mentioned in the Gospels that Jesus was cleansing. And it's real interesting because as you look at the Gospel accounts, 
it's the only real accounts that we have of those being cleansed of leprosy. And it's always in that term, not healed of leprosy, but cleansed of leprosy. And I find that very interesting. As you go through the Old Testament, there isn't really any examples of, of those being healed uh, of leprosy of the children of Israel. Now, as we go into chapter 14, what this chapter deals with, and it's the longest chapter in the book of Leviticus, is the ritual for those who have been cleansed of leprosy. And so in the Old Testament time, we don't have any record of this procedure being used. Now, there was Miriam that we will see in Numbers chapter 12. That's Moses' sister. That she came against Moses and murmured and complained against him. So the Lord struck her with leprosy and she was isolated from the camp for seven days and then brought back in. And so if she went through this ritual, we don't know. It's not mentioned there. But the only other mention of anyone having leprosy in the Old Testament was a Gentile. That was Naaman, the Syrian general who had heard that there was a man in Israel that was working miracles. And so he would come to Elijah and Elijah told him to go dip in the river some seven times and he would be cleansed. And so that's what Naaman did. He was cleansed of that leprosy, but he would immediately leave and go to Syria. There's no record of him showing himself to the priest. Now, when we get to the Gospels, we see that Jesus was cleansing those of leprosy. We saw in Matthew chapter 8 that there was that man that was full of leprosy that came to Jesus and he worshipped Jesus and cried out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. If you're willing, cleanse me. And Jesus said, I am willing and reached out and touched that man. And it says that immediately he was cleansed of that leprosy. And so Jesus would say to him, go and present yourself to the priest and the offering that Moses has commanded. And so what he was going to do was what we're going to read about here, that ritual in Leviticus chapter 14, that offering that was to be given. And so that's what we're going to cover. Uh, Luke chapter 17, the ten lepers that would cry out to Jesus from a distance, remembered that lepers, because they were highly contagious, as we saw in chapter 13, they would be isolated from the villages. They would be isolated from uh, people. They had no contact with their family. They couldn't go and, and get a, a job or work uh, with other individuals. They were ones that couldn't go to the tabernacle to present their offerings. And when it came later on in their history, when they were in the promised land and they built the temple, they couldn't bring a sacrifice to the temple. They couldn't come to the temple and worship. After the Babylonian captivity, after Judah was taken off in the captivity and came back, then there was the establishment of the synagogues. And so uh, as those villages uh, would uh, be built there in Israel, and anywhere there was ten male uh, Jewish men in a village, then they would set up a synagogue, but they weren't allowed to go to the synagogue. So they would be spiritual outcasts. They had no contact with anyone. They would live in tent-like colonies or in cave-like colonies. It would be very painful leprosy because it would begin to spread. And you recall, as we saw last week, it would have small beginnings with a, a bright spot, maybe perhaps some kind of scab-looking uh, thing on your skin, uh, maybe a swelling or something. The priest would examine it. And if he thought that it was leprous, then the, he would be isolated again for a certain number of days and then re-examined to see if he would be determined to have leprosy and then determined to be unclean. And so uh, he would see that the, the leprosy would begin 
to be deeper than the skin. It would begin to affect their bone structure and uh, it would begin to eat away at their fingers and their nose and, and their gums and, and, and their mouths. And so their teeth would fall out, their hair would fall out, their skin would turn white. And it was a very painful disease and they would die from that disease. And so it was a very dreadful thing to have leprosy. It would be the religious leaders that would teach in Jesus' day that if you had leprosy, that it was God's judgment on you because of what had happened to Marion. We recall that Marion again in Numbers chapter 12 was struck with leprosy because of her murmuring against Moses. But Jesus was cleansing the lepers. And so those ten lepers that he cleansed there in Luke chapter 17, he told them to present themselves to the priests and the offering that Moses had commanded. Again, what we're going to read about here in just a minute in chapter 14. And so can you imagine what the priests would have been thinking as all of a sudden these lepers are showing up being cleansed and saying I had leprosy and we're commanded by Jesus of Nazareth who cleansed us to come give the offering as prescribed uh, in the law and so they'd be looking at Leviticus chapter 14 saying we haven't you know used this law or this ritual for a long time we got to refresh ourselves on this but it would also be a powerful testimony and witness of the ministry that Messiah was on the scene and I think that it was more lepers that were being cleansed than what we have specifically identified to us in the Gospels because Jesus was healing the multitudes. He was healing the people as the Gospels specifically say of every kind of sickness and leprosy would be a part of that. So I'm sure they were just lining up there at the temple in Jerusalem and it was a testimony that Messiah was on the scene as prophesied by the Old Testament prophets that he would cleanse uh, the lepers and, and that was part of his ministry. So let's begin to look at chapter 14. Again, the ritual for cleansing uh, those who have been healed of leprosy. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priests. And so remember that it was the priest that would declare that individual if he had leprosy or not. He was unclean. And then it would be the priest that would declare him to be clean. And our great high priest is the one who's going to declare if we're clean. Because remember, as we go through this chapter and, and as we go through chapter 15 and 16 and 17, what we're going to see is we look at it and we think, well, you know, we got medical advances. We don't deal with leprosy in our nation. Why are we going through this? We can make spiritual application for us because leprosy is a picture of sin and how it eats away at us and how it decays and how it begins to to do its destructive work in our lives if we let it go unchecked. It has small beginnings. And a lot of people end up falling into deep sin. It starts out small, but then it has its destructive work that it does in our lives. All these things that we talked about last time. And so here we see that our great high priest, he's the one is to examine us uh, and examine our hearts. You recall that the priest, if he saw that 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 leprosy was under the skin. It was more than skin deep. And of course, our sin condition is more than skin deep. It's, it's a heart issue. We're all born with the sin nature. And Jeremiah declares to you and to me that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the Lord is the only one that truly can know it. 
we can, you know, know our own hearts and think we know our own heart, but the Lord knows our hearts much better than we do. The Lord knows the very depths of our hearts. And we can think that we know the heart of somebody else, but the Lord is the only one that really knows the heart of an individual. And we are to present our hearts to Him and say, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me, any way that is contrary to the way that you would have me to live or to think. Uh, Lord, you touch me and you have made me clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Continue that cleansing work in me as I come to you. And so he's the one that has determined us to be clean by uh, us coming to Jesus and then continually being washed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, Titus chapter 3, and then being washed by the water of the Word as we just continue to abide in the Word of God. And verse 3, And the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him, and indeed if the leprosy is healed in the leper. And so uh, the priest was to meet the leper again outside of the camp to make sure that he wasn't leprous, uh, that he wouldn't have contact with anybody else in case he wasn't really cleansed of that leprosy. And again, the Lord is the one Yes, cleansed us. But it reminds me, as they were kept outside of the camp, you recall that Paul the Apostle, when he was writing those epistles in the New Testament, one of the things that he was always stressing to the Gentile believers is that one time you guys were far off, that you were outside of the covenant and the promises that were given to you that the Jews had. But now you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 2. You're no longer foreigners. You're no longer strangers, aliens to the, the, the commonwealth of, of, of the covenants and, and the promises of the Lord. But you are brought into the household of God as well. And that was something that he had to really emphasize, that it's no longer Jew and Gentiles. It's one thing called the church, this church that comes together made up of Jew and Gentiles. Because at first, the Gentiles would feel like, well, you know, we kind of been afar off and we still are. And Paul said, no, no, you've come and you've been brought near. And so here they would be brought back into the campus. We're going to see if they were uh, healed of leprosy indeed. In verse four, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed to living in clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop. And the priest shall command that the one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over running water. In verse 7, he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. So if a person was found to be clean, in this cleansing ceremony, there would be two birds one of the birds would be killed in an earthen vessel with running water uh, running over it. And then the blood would be applied to the living bird and it would be applied to the cedar. It would be applied to scarlet fabric and then some hyssop and then it would be sprinkled seven times on the individual as well, the one who was healed. And so a couple connections that we can make here. The bird that was killed represents how Jesus Christ was put to death for you and for me, that we might be cleansed of sin. And so we have forgiveness of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we can be thankful for the work that he did. The reason we come to the communion table is Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. So we come to the communion table tonight to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. And so as we come, we recognize that he died for our sins and we are cleansed of our sins. And then the living bird that was let go represents the resurrection of Jesus and 
how we live in that resurrected life, that newness of life. And it would be Paul that would discuss that in Romans chapter 6 as he would say that we don't continue in sin, but what we do is we identify with Jesus in his death and baptism, and that is we are living in a newness of life. As we are baptized in water, we go under the water. It symbolizes that the old man, the old woman is dead. We're buried with Christ, but we come out of the water in baptism, symbolizing that we are resurrected with Christ and we are now living in a newness of life. No longer living after the flesh, but we are living in the Spirit. And so we are to reckon that to be so and that we are instruments of righteousness as we live our lives. We're no longer in bondage to sin and we are cleansed from sin. And so that's what the the bird that was let go would represent. Uh, The cedar wood, uh, cedar was resistant to to disease and rot. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why cedar wood would be used particularly for leprosy because leprosy would do what? It would begin to rot away at you. It was a terrible disease. And so cedar wood, as it was applied to that, I think that it speaks of the cross of Christ. And it is interesting. You can find some references of some scholars who suggest that the Romans built their crosses out of cedar wood. And Jesus' cross would have been made out of cedar as the blood uh, was uh, there uh, as he shed his blood on that cross. And so the scarlet thread, it's a sign of faith. Uh, It was Rahab, we think, of course, of her, the harlot there in Jericho. As we read in the book of Joshua, when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and finally, finally, after 40 years, they came into the promised land. Their first battle, Jericho. And so they sent spies into Jericho. And there was Rahab that found the spies, hid those spies. And she would give that statement of faith. She said, I know that your God is the true and living God who drowned the Egyptians. And so she would be mentioned there in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But you recall that the sign that she would give, that that she was there, so the children of Israel wouldn't go after her, is that she would put out that scarlet thread. And then hyssop, hyssop is mentioned here, and it's a plant that grows upon the rocks and the damp places. And it would be David, after he confessed his sin with uh, Bathsheba to Nathan, he would write in Psalm 51, verse 7, he would say, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. As he talks about the forgiveness of God um, as he confessed his sin. Hyssop, uh, if you want to know what hyssop looks like, and the picture out there in the coffee shop of the western wall there, that it looks like almost like a tumbleweed growing out of the western wall, the cracks there, that's hyssop. And so you can see what it looks like as uh, these things were used in that ritual. In verse 8, And he who is cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows and his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. So further instructions are given here. They were to wash their clothes. They were to shave themselves, come into the camp, but they were not to go into their tent for seven days. After the seven days, which is a number of completion, they were to shave again everything. They were shave their eyebrows brows and for the Jews to do that that would be a very humbling thing and so it was a picture of being cleansed but also it was a picture of, of, of humility and you and I as we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ it takes that individual as we came humbly before the Lord and confess 
that I am a sinner, Lord, that I recognize that I have sinned, I have done wrong, and I confess it, and I uh, humbly come before you and, uh, and uh, confess that sin and being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ as we do that. And so it does take humility. It's pride that says, I haven't sinned. I haven't done anything wrong or blaming somebody else or making excuses. The thing is, we come humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, I have sinned and I confess it. In verse 10, and then on the eighth day, eight is the number of new beginnings. He shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephod of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. Then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And then he shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place for as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. In verse 14, the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it in the palm of his own left hand. And then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot and on the blood of his trespass offering. Verse 18, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed. From his uncleanness, afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. And so again, we see here that on the eighth day, we see that there is to be application of the blood and also the oil on the right ear lobe, also on the right uh, big um, the right thumb on your right hand, and then the big toe on your right foot. Now, this should remind you of something if you've been with us in our study of Leviticus. You recall in the consecration of the priests, setting them aside for ministry, that the same thing was done to them. You recall the blood and the oil was applied to their ear and then to their uh, right thumb and to their big toe on their right foot. And we talked about how the Lord, uh, He has cleansed us, of course, and, and as we recognize that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us, then, Lord, I want to be set aside for You that I may hear the things that You desire for me to hear, hearing Your Word and, and knowing Your ways, that, Lord, that my hands may be used to glorify You in whatever it is that I do, that my feet is walking with You, Lord. And so those are the things that we've talked about quite extensively as we looked at the priests and them being set aside for ministry. But also that you and I were reminded that the oil is to be applied as well. That as we now have been cleansed of our sins and as we have forgiveness and we belong to the Lord, the Lord desires to use us, but it isn't a fleshly kind of thing. There's the anointing of the Lord upon our lives, whatever it might be. And that anointing is available for all of us as He gifts us, as He empowers us by the Holy Spirit 
to do those things that He's called us to do. So the blood and the oil that's applied uh, even in the believer's life. In verse 21, But if he is poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived to make atonement for him, one-tenth of an ephod, a fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a log of oil. And two turtle doves of two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford, one shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering, and shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord. And so this was a provision for the poor to fulfill the ritual of a cleansed leper. If they didn't have um, you know, a lamb to bring, a ewe to bring, then they could bring uh, a couple birds, that is, turtle doves or pigeons. And I imagine that when in Jesus' time, when He was cleansing those who had leprosy and said, go give the offering that Moses commanded, that this is what they were bringing. Because I don't think that there was any, they really had any access to, to any animals and had their own flocks. They were isolated. They didn't have workman's comp. They didn't have you know, any kind of insurance or anything like that. They would be considered outcasts. So I'm sure that most of them, if not all of them, were very, very poor. And so this was the offering of the poor. And then we see the procedure again given and what they were to go through that we'll read through very quickly. Verse 23 or 24. And the priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering uh, and the log of oil. And the priest shall have them wave as a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering. Um, and the priest shall take some of the blood uh, of the trespass offering, put it on the tip of the right ear who is on to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, on the big toe of his right foot. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand. And then the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is left hand seven times before the Lord. And the Lord priest shall put some of the oil that is in his hand on the right tip of the right ear of he who is to be cleansed on the thumb of the right hand on the big toe of the right foot on the place of the blood of the trespass offering and the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand shall be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord and you shall offer one of the turtle doves or young pigeons such as he can afford such as he is able to afford so that was the, the offering of those who were poor and the one as a sin offering the other as a burnt offering with the grain offering so the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. And this is the law for one who had a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. And then as we read the rest of the chapter here, and again, it's a long chapter and we're going through it fairly quickly, it talks about the, the home that perhaps leprosy is found as we read in verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you have come into the land of Canaan, that is the promised land, which I give you as a possession and I will put the leprous plague in the house of the land of your possession. Now, the original language here is indicating some kind of fungus or mold outbreak infestation that, of some sort that would be found in the house. So that's what really is being talked about here. And so verse 35, And he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. Then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague, that all that is in the house may not be made unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go into examining the house. So everybody would come out. They would say, hey, priest, we think we have this mold or fungus infestation in our house. And again, the priest would be the one that would inspect it to see if indeed that was the case. And so verse 38, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, 
And the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague, and they shall cast them out in an unclean place outside the city. So, verse 37 says, if he sees some kind of greenish or reddish appearance, then indeed it's, it's this infestation. And what they were to do is everybody was isolated from the house. They would go and replace the stones that were infested and put new plaster up, try to clean the house in that way, is what they would do. And then, um, and then verse 43, um, um, or actually verse 41, and he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around. The dust that they scrape off shall be poured out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house. Now, if the plague does come back, verse 43, and breaks out in the house after it has been taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an act of leprosy in the house. It is unclean. So here's the thing. If they already replaced the stone and the plaster and they go back and all of a sudden it's come back, again, then the house is considered unclean. And what they did in verse 45 is they shall break down the house its stones as timber, all the plaster the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. So what they would do is destroy the house completely and it would be taken to a place it would be disposed of. This reminds me so much of what Jesus said as we saw in Matthew chapter 18. You recall that he said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, then, then you know, uh, then cast it out. In other words, if there is sin in your life, deal with it radically. And this leprosy that would be in the house, they would deal with it radically. And so uh, they would tear the whole house down. The thing, again, to remind us uh, that we see throughout the Scripture is if there is sin in our lives, deal with it radically. Don't play around with it. Don't, don't um, make excuses for it, as I've said. But we are to give it to the Lord and to deal with it and not allow those things to come into our hearts and into our minds and into our homes that will cause us to continue in that sin. And we have seen a picture in the Old Testament, haven't we, very clearly, how they were to take the leaven out of the house in the Feast of Unleavened Bread there in the book of Exodus. Leaven speaks of sin. It speaks of corruption. And how that leaven would be put in the bread, they would put it in, and then it would spread throughout the bread, and that's what made the bread rise. But during that feast, what they were to do, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is take all the leaven out of the bread, not to bake any bread, with any leaven and take it out of their homes. And we made the application for us spiritually that in our homes don't have any leaven. In your home, don't have leprosy. And it used to be uh, a generation ago or two generations ago, you could protect your home fairly easily from outside influences coming in. But today is so difficult because it comes right into our house through the cable TV, through the computers, through all kinds of things that easily can infect our homes with those things that will affect our hearts and, and cause us to begin to, to drift into sin or be enamored with sin or cause us to carnal out or to flesh out. And we need to deal with that. And it's real wisdom. And, and I talk to individuals all the time that say, you know what, we've got a problem in our home. There's a problem in the computer. Then deal with it. You either get those filters on or get rid of that computer. With cable TV, with the kids watching, they get rid of the cable TV. And I'm not a big advocate of anti-TVs and anti-computers and stuff. i got a computer up there. But we got things in place to where those things aren't a problem at all. And so we need to be careful and we need to make sure that there isn't any 
place that we're given for Satan to come in and affect our homes and our lives. But you, priest, you the head of your homes, you protect your homes and make sure it's clean. And that's one of the things that we can go away with here. That there aren't things that are being seen and heard and, and talked about and things like that behavior in your house that is unpleasing to the Lord. But will we deal with it and protect your homes and may your homes honor the Lord in what is there and being said and what is being watched and what is being heard. And talk to your children about that. And, and again, any adjustments, you go to the Lord and allow Him to minister to you the things that need to take place. And so we see that they would, um, again, take it outside to an unclean place. And in verse 46, Moreover, who who goes into the house at all while is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And then he who lies down at the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats his house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague is not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. And he shall take to his cleanse the house to two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And he shall kill one of the birds on the earthen vessel over running water, so the same procedure as the individual. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird, and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and the running water, and the living bird, with the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet. And then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field, and make atonement for the house, and it shall be clean. For this is the law of any leprous sore scale for the leprosy of a garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot, to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. So again, very practical reasons. We'll go through this very quickly as we look at this. But they didn't have the medical knowledge and technology that we have today. Today we know that bodily discharge, um, that there is viruses and diseases can be spread very quickly in that way. And a lot of, of new uh, knowledge has been determined um, on how that is spread and, and through saliva and other bodily discharges. You see when police officers and paramedics and firefighters are dealing with those who are hurt or perhaps um, those who um, that they're dealing with particularly that are bleeding, they put on gloves, don't they? And, and that's to protect them because we know that certain viruses and diseases and sicknesses can be spread through blood and other means of bodily discharge. So again, this was for very practical reasons. And then also, um, you know, it was to keep the villages in the camp of the children of Israel. They didn't have sewer systems back then. You can go to third world countries today, and some of you perhaps have been, but I've been in villages in northern Thailand. I've been in villages in, in Africa where there is no sewer system, and it's very dirty, and it's very much a problem. And so it's something that the Christians will go in and try to help them in those areas and how to keep their homes clean and their villages clean. And there's a huge difference when you can go to a village in northern Thailand that I've been where there's a lot of Christians is hugely different than when you go to a village where there's a lot of idol worship and things like that. Huge, huge different because um, there just is. And so in the villages of the children of Israel in ancient times, it was very clean because they followed these laws. So let's look at this as we look at, first of all, abnormal bodily discharge in the first 15 verses. As we read verse 3, and this shall be the uncleanness in regard 
regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed is unclean on which he who has the discharge lies, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who sits on anything on which he has the discharge sat shall be washed his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And he who touches the body of him who has the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And then he who has the discharge spits on him who is clean. Not that somebody's going around spitting on them, but perhaps saliva gets on them for some part. Maybe some guy, you know, wipes his mouth and then shaking hands with somebody else needed to be careful and he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening any saddle verse 9 in which he who has the discharge rides shall be unclean whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening and he who carries any of those things shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening and whoever the one who has the discharge touches and has not rinsed his hands in water he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening The vessel of earth that he who has the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when he who has a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, bathe his body in running water, and then he shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take for himself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and give them to the priest. And then the priest shall offer them the one as a sin offering and to the other as a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord because of his discharge. So you can look at this and think, man, they're really into this cleansing and washing thing. But there was a purpose for it. So they were very careful. And again, they didn't have the diseases and the viruses and things running through their camp uh, like the other nations would and stuff. One of the things I tell my kids, you guys constantly now, there's been a bug that's been going around, uh, you know, stomach stuff and everything. You guys, the best thing you can do is wash your hands constantly. Be washing your hands all the time. And um, so we try to instill that uh, into our children as, as well practice it ourselves. And in verse 16, if any man has a mission of semen, then he shall wash all his body in water and, and be unclean until evening. In any garment and any leather in which there is semen, it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. And also when a woman lies with a man, if there is an omission of semen, they shall bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Now I know that we can read some of this and blush a little bit as we go through this section of, of Leviticus. But one of the things that reminds me of, he's not saying that the normal physical relations between a husband and wife is something that is unclean. But again, it was for practical reasons. But as I think about this, one of the things that really that I hate and really makes me concerned and angry at times is how our world and how Hollywood and how entertainment has taken something that was meant to be clean and a gift of God normal physical relations between a husband and a wife that is to be joyed in the marriage and it is to be something that God has given to us you know, as, as a gift how Hollywood has taken it and how the world has taken it and made it so unclean and has perverted it and made it so dirty and shameful. And I hate it. And here's the thing, folks, that we see such perversity in our society and in our nation. And we're seeing it get worse and worse because it's the truth of what God declares, particularly in Romans chapter one, that perversity will lead to more perversity and uncleanness will lead to more uncleanness and shame will lead to more shame 
And that's the road that we are on. And that's why we need to pray. And we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for unbelievers that we know in our life. But just what is accepted and what is laughed at and, and what is you know, seen as being okay and clean, which is, according to God's Word, is not. And I hate it because it affects our society and our children and, and, and affects so many people because they're buying into it. One of the phrases that we're going to see when we get into chapter 16 and 17 and the rest of the book that we're going to see repeated over and over again that the Lord is going to say that I am the Lord, that I am the Lord, that I am your Lord, that I am your Lord. And why he is saying that is he will talk about sexual purity and when we get to that chapter and things like that as he is saying you're not like the Egyptians that you are from and you're not going to be like the Canaanites in the land that they are in. But I am the one with authority and I am the one that is your Lord. If I have instituted these things, and you know what? That I am doing it to bless you because I love you. And I want you to have a good life and enjoy those things that is to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. But the world and Satan comes along and perverts that so much. And it's sad to see. And we'll talk more about it, particularly when we get into chapter 18. But in verse 19, as we finish, it talks about the discharge from a woman, a normal discharge through verse 24. If a woman has a discharge and a discharge from her body is blood, she'll she'll be set apart seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until evening. And everything that she lies on during her impurity shall be unclean. Also, everything that she sits on shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches anything that she sat on shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. If anything is on her bed or on anything on which she sits, when she touches it, it shall be unclean until evening. And if any man lies with her at all, so that her impurity is on him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which she lies shall be unclean. And then the rest of the chapter talks about... uh, an um, abnormal, uh, unnatural discharge uh, indicating something wrong physically. Verse 25, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than the time of her customary impurity or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity and whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, then she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And then on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves of two young pigeons and bring them to the priest of the door of the tabernacle meeting. And then he goes on and he explains uh, that it's going to be Verse 30, a sin offering and a burnt offering and the priest shall make atonement for the Lord for the discharge of her uncleanness and he shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is a law for one who has a discharge for him who admits semen or unclean thereby and for her who is indisposed because of her customary impurity and for the one who has a discharge, either man or woman, for him who lies with her also is unclean. Now, in, you remember in um, Matthew chapter 9, it was the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years. This chapter gives us a little bit of understanding what it was that she was, you know, um, spiritually how she was looked at. She was considered unclean. And anything that she touched she was considered unclean. 
She would be an outcast. She would be ostracized. She'd probably be divorced from her husband. She couldn't be able to come into the synagogue. And it's interesting there in Matthew chapter 9 that it was Jesus on his way to whose house? The ruler of the synagogue, wasn't it? To Jairus' house to touch his daughter who was sick, who was 12 years old. And all of a sudden, as they're making their way there, and there it says that the multitudes were pressing in on Jesus, all these people, and she comes in, the issue of blood, weak, spent all her money, the Gospels tell us, on medical help to no help at all. She pushes her way through to touch the hem of his garment. She thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And that's what happened. And Jesus stopped that whole processional and said, who touched me? And the disciples are going, what do you mean, who touched you? There's people all around you touching you. No, virtue's gone out of me. And she would speak up. And she would come and worship Him. And she was healed immediately of that. Interesting. Jairus there, trying to hurry the Master along. Probably thinking, why are you stopping to talk to her? Why this woman? She's unclean. I had to kick her out of my synagogue. I got a 12-year-old daughter that is sick and dying. But Jesus took the time and stopped that woman. It's a very touching story that we went over as we went over Matthew chapter 9. I want to close with this. Maybe there's something that's been flowing out of you that is not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's, it's your speech. Maybe it's your conduct. Maybe your behavior of some sort. And, and you've been struggling with it. And you know the Lord's been dealing with you. The Lord desires to bring healing to you if you would. He desires to touch you as you come and say, Lord, you know what? I'm going to reach out and in faith. I know that you have the power to change my heart, to change my speech, to change my behavior, my attitude, whatever it might be, that, Lord, you do that marvelous work that I know that you can do that is given to us. And, and as an example, there is this woman that was healed there in Matthew chapter 9, this issue of blood. But, Lord, to me, it's another issue. And I know that you can do that work in me as I come and just touch you and confess it and Lord, allow you to do that work that you want to do. And so, Father, we thank you. Lord, as we go through these chapters, that we can be reminded of some very simple principles and truths in your word. And Father, I do pray that tonight, as we once again are, are here, that if there's anything that's in our hearts that, Lord, is, is leprous or anything that's been coming out of us, that, Lord, that is not pleasing to you, that right now that we would just take the time and Lord, we would humble ourselves and we would confess that. And Lord, as we come to the communion table tonight, we want to come with the readiness of heart. Lord, realizing Your desire for us to be truly ones that, Lord, recognize our shortcoming, that, Lord, that recognize how we need You to cleanse us, and, Lord, how You need to do that work of cleansing our hearts, whatever is there that may be unclean. As we hold those elements, realizing that Jesus Christ, that you died for us, that your body was broken, and your blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And Lord, that you would just help us to draw close to you, because we know that your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness is great. And so, Lord, we come tonight, right now, and Lord, we desire to come with hearts ready and hearts close to you, and Lord, desiring to be pleasing to you. Lord, we know that we cannot be worthy in of ourselves, Lord, for You, but Lord Jesus Christ and the work that He did, that Lord, that we have been declared righteous and clean, 
So Lord, thank You for that. Father, just bless this time as we just worship. And Lord, as we take of the communion elements, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The communion table.